Welcome. Welcome back to Jokerman. Every 10 years in, in Jokerman years, in Jokerman time, there's an event which happens, which is that we do a best of that decade episode. Sure is. And uh, wouldn't you know it, the time has been going by so fast and uh, it's the end of the 90s now. It sure is. Yeah, this is uh, the end of the 90s, the end of season three uh, Joker men. Uh, we're going to be rolling into season four uh, after this. I really feel like the I feel like the show's come a long way in season three. We've uh, really kind of brought in our focus, brought in some great guests to talk to, started the Patreon, mm-hmm. reached one thousand followers on Instagram. We're we're really rolling. That was our milestone today. We reached one thousand followers. That's actually like one of the most uh, well, you know, famously one of the biggest numbers. Absolutely. And so it's really just an honor to to have that uh, milestone be reached and to, to say that we have, there's 1,000. 1,000. 1,000 Joker men. 1,000 Joker, <laughs> the Jokerman army is 1,000. 10,000 men. That's the next uh, <laughs> milestone. It's a great birthday present for me, um, which. What? It's uh, your birthday? It, it was my birthday yesterday. No way. Um, you yeah. see, I, how was I supposed to know that? Happy you birthday! Learned. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Ugh, um, I'm disgusted. That's why I was a few minutes. That's why I was a few minutes late starting tonight. I was out, like, kind of hiking and having some dinner and stuff. Um, it's Ian's. It was Ian's birthday, everybody. It it was my birthday just a day ago. So thank thank you to all the Joker folks out there. Uh, we love to see that big, beautiful one thousand number. That's that's uh, one of the one. Of, it's folks. It's one of the biggest numbers you, you've ever seen. You you can't believe how big you this sound like is. Woody Allen when you, is not not. I guess the other that is person. closer. It's yeah. it's a it's ter- it's a terrific number. <laughs> I mean, I can't do it right now either. Anyways, uh, so to go along with that great birthday present, I also received some birthday presents from uh, my beautiful girlfriend Grace, and wouldn't you know it, several of them are Jokerman podcast themes. No, yes, starting with. We have a new harmonica to be utilizing here. Wow. Listener, in front of me on Zoom is a box emblazoned with that famous all-seeing eye Dylan insignia, the Bob Dylan official logo. The logo we all know and love. Wow. It's the official Bob Dylan signature collection harmonica from Honer. Incredible. Uh, and there's this beautiful little carrying case on the inside, also emblazoned with the logo. Oh, it says Absolutely Bob Dylan stunning. Signature Series in sort of metallic uh, silver foil print. Wow. And we've got a, you can't, I don't know if you can quite see yeah, it, but it's even Bob's on there. Signature on the harmonica. Wow. Emblazoned on there. It's in a nice. There's so uh, much nice, emblazonry happening. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, piece of work, and here. we're going to use this forevermore on the podcast. We certainly are. Oh my god, a, we love it! What a what it's a special a nice, surprise for one thousand followers! <laughs> <laughs> this is this is my my gift uh, it, honoring the one thousand follower milestone. This is terrific. But that's not it. Uh, I also received from Grace my very own. No, what is that? What is that? <laughs> it is a, a. I guess this is sort of hard for everyone listening since it's just. Uh, I'm showing no. it. It's a custom Jokerman T-shirt. This is Jokerman merch that I didn't even know exi- 
It's it, this is Jokerman merch that Jokerman only merch. Ian has right now. This shirt is terrific. It's a great shirt. This is the best part. The, back, the back, it's the back has three stars on it. Oh my god! Uh, we should make a small run of these shirts. I kind of think that we should. Um, it's a really beautiful shirt, and the font that the best thing is. So the what font, is the it's font? not the Jokerman font. No, um, it is. It's sort of a, a script font, but apparently it's a font that Grace found. That is, this is a real font that's based on Bob's actual signature. Oh, it's, whoa! Someone designed this font based on the way Bob signs his own name, as you see on the Jokerman podcast art down there in the bottom right corner. Wow! So really, just a fantastic. Uh, fantastic birthday all around. We have the harmonica, we have the shirt, we have the 1,000 followers. It's what, what more could a Joker man ask for? I am blown away, as I'm sure our guests <laughs> are. That this, you know, I've been feeling really tired because I'm uh, stuck in sort of a long period of working every day right now. Um, and that just lifted my spirits like, uh, the, the, like a great wind ca- casting me across the sky. A wind beneath your wings. I'm I'm glad I'm glad that that we were able to to get some pep in your step going into this beautiful best of the '90s episode. I'll I'll post some pictures. Yeah, you gotta on the, do an uh, admin uh, post where you're you're blowing the harp and um, wearing the shirt. Wearing the Jokerman shirt. It's uh it's a beautiful 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 gift. A series of beautiful gifts from my beautiful girlfriend. A series of thank beautiful. You. Thank you, Grace. Thank you, Grace. She probably won't hear this, but I'll maybe I'll tell her that we talked about her on this episode. So she'll listen to the first five or ten minutes. She should. She needs to make me one of those shirts. She she actually did. No. Aw. <laughs> wow. I was gonna I was gonna save that for a special surprise at the end, but now that we've rolled in, I have two of these, so I can mail you the other. I one. like the idea of instead of us making merch, we both just have a shirt. <laughs> and and uh, just, that's our our uniform. <laughs> we need to put it on every time that we podcast. That's right. We have to schedule uh, the the show recordings around when we can get it clean. Yeah, when, our, what our laundry dry, day dry is. clean only this shirt. Sure. Yes, of course. Yeah, it's it's a very uh, uh, expensive article of clothing, so you got to take good care of it. And you'll soon have your hat with that beautiful. Oh, yeah, I uh, I bought uh, this Bob Dylan uh, like. 2002 maybe um trucker cap that features the um the the eye the dylan features the all-seeing eye logo and um it look it's really insane it was like five dollars on ebay and so i just had to snatch it up um but anyway back to the topic at hand i feel like there's you know an embarrassment of riches just to start off this this show very special beginning to um, what is really the end of season three, the end of the season three finale. Um, and now we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the 1990s through the, the rear view mirror. Yeah, looking, looking back with quite a bit of hindsight at this point, since we've not only covered all of the 90s material, but obviously have taken, taken a look back at, uh, at show and concert. Uh, um, over the last however many weeks at this point and really kind of uh, broadened and deepened our appreciation for some of this material. Yeah, the river is wide. Certainly is. That's a song. It is a song, not by Bob. But he covered it, right? Did he cover it? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, anyway, whatever. I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. (laughs) 
Well, should we uh, should we should we break in this beautiful Bob Dylan signature series harmonica? I'm, and I'm beside myself. Yes. Take a trip through the 1990s, please. All right. Different key this time. It's a C. You know, the C is a really triumphant. It's a pretty good key. key. I gotta say. Yeah. One of the- apparently. Uh, Honer, Honer says on here uh, that uh, this new harp is designed to produce a more brilliant or, quote, bright sound. When combined with the natural warm tone of a wooden comb, it creates greater sonic versatility, which allows artists such as Bob Dylan <laughs> to, more, to more easily express themselves. <laughs> it, 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 uh, it makes the experience more pleasant. <laughs> Ribbed for his pleasure. <laughs> uh. Well, uh, so folks, we've got our uh, we got another classic Jokerman best of '90s playlist for you. That's going to be sitting there in the episode description um, uh, on this episode. We'll probably also post about it on the Instagram and the Twitter separately. Mm-hmm. So follow along at home. Uh, you, you're probably already taking a look at it or have taken a look at it here. But you know, just before we we dive in, it, it is worth noting. You know, a lot of the '90s material. You've only got two original Bob albums. You've got uh, you've got uh, Red Sky in 1990, and you've got The Great Time Out of Mind '97, um, uh, 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 towards the end of the decade, and that's it as far as you know original you know original new Bob songs go. And uh, as we're all uh, familiar, um, uh, Red Sky maybe not the strongest uh, original recording in Bob's career. So you know playlists like this can be a challenge. I, I think uh, part of what Evan and I tried to do was avoid just packing it full of, of time, out of, time mind. out of mind material. You could think of the entire album as his best of the 90s playlist, uh, you know, just uh, songs one through 11 on there, right up through the end of Highlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, we, we wanted to try to... to, to <laughs> right up to, uh, and instead of, and except Highlands. <laughs> <laughs> I love Highlands. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, it's not going to be on this playlist. We did not have the time for that. Um, but, uh, you know, we're trying to give you that, the, the, that patented sort of Jokerman take on things. Um, so, so we're gonna, we're gonna broaden our, our scope a little bit here and, and still stick to nineties material, but really try to be as generous and, uh, and far reaching as we can, I think with this playlist. So there's certainly going to be some time out of mind, uh, top hits, uh, fan favorites. Uh, but, but beyond that, I think there's going to be some more diamonds in the rough, so to speak, that we try to, uh, excavate and, and uh, you know, kind of slot in to Bob's canon uh, where they where they more rightfully belong. Yes, that's my take on the whole thing. Anyways, this is a good uh, a good a good way to introduce what we're what we've done here. Um, you know, I think that maybe a, a song that we could we could start by talking about maybe is a song which I don't know where we're going to put it on the playlist, but it's one that we. We had some back and forth about will we include it, won't we? But it seems kind of obvious that we should. Mm. And um, also, it's connected with a iconic, an iconic Bob Dylan moment in popular nineties moment. Yeah, an iconic nineties moment. And I wanted to, you know, maybe just start off our discussion with that moment, which is one that we have not talked about yet. Um, somehow, um, and also, you we- know, the, the song that it involves is the uh, opening track to a certain record. So certainly we're talking about soy bomb. Yes. 
I'm sick of soy. And I'm in the thick of it. <laughs> this kind of soy, yeah. I'm so sick of it. Sick of it, yeah. Uh, Love Sick. Great song. We were going to talk about, we talked about talking about Soy Bomb when Rado was on, and then we just never ended up talking about it. We, you know, went off uh, in, in many other directions. What is Soy Bomb? What, is, what could those words mean together? What does that mean? Well, All these years later, I don't think that we have an answer that is really satisfying. For those of you familiar with the soy face, this is uh, sort of where it all... Yeah, the, the soy face is, a, is a, sort of the horrible side effect of the... It's the, the fallout from the soy bomb. <laughs> uh, in 1998, uh, after the Time Out of Mind record came out in 97 and Bob had really kind of returned to the forefront of the culture, uh, he was invited to play at the Grammy Awards... Um, uh, time out of mind was was up for something, probably album of the Another year. Another era um, when they when they respected Bob at the Grammys. Right, exactly. Unlike 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 today. Who gives it? No, um, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, and uh, and so Bob made an appearance uh, on the Grammys with the Never Ending Band. That's right. Uh, you know, all all our favorites, Tony Tony G on the bass, and so on. Um, actually, he wasn't that <laughs> the band. There was a different lineup. <laughs> anyway, so go ahead. Thank you. Um, at um, you know, blowing in the wind at 420. Elston Gunn Derson, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um and uh and so Bob is up there uh jamming on jamming on Lovesick sounds great. You know, the band sounds absolutely They sound pristine. so good. Um shockingly good for a live performance on an award show. Little did they uh, know. Yeah, little did they know. What All of was a sudden, about to happen? What's his name? The guy? I actually don't know. He's some sort Can of look performance artist. Yeah. Bob is about to be, um, he's about to be soy bombed, frankly. He That's, is going to be soy bombed. What? Michael, Michael Portnoy, yeah. a New York-based performance artist. Yeah, and this is performance art kind of in the, um, in, in the vein of like, Yoko Ono, I feel you can see that type of like sort of inscrutable. He comes out, he's just dancing with no shirt on. It says soy bomb on his chest. It's written very large and very clear. Yes. So that you don't miss, uh, mistake it for saying something else. You know, these words are deliberately, uh, inked. And he's doing just this like really, really feverish gyrating dance. This skinny white fellow, Bob, is uh, playing and um, doing a good job at, at his music. Sort of just trying to uh, ignore him as best he can. Yeah, it, it seems like he maybe notices it in his periphery. Of course, it must have been kind of frightening, maybe on some level. Of just like who the what is this? What, right. And um, I don't know what. Do, do you know like what what was meant? What do we even know about what was meant by soy bomb? Well, I I think it had something to do with GMOs or something like that. See, I um, I don't know that I did. I th- I think that it was. It's just energy. Like it's like I, I this guy might have been working on just a the sphere of like pure 
like Gertrude Stein type shit, you know. I see. Okay, so here I've got I've got uh, I've got some some deeply um, uh, researched material here for us uh, from a certain website that might may or may not be the first Google result when you just punch punch soy bomb into the search engine. Right. Um, uh, for Bob Dylan's performance of Love Sick at the 1998 Grammy Awards, Portnoy, uh, this guy was hired by Bob's production company to stand in the background with other dancers and groove to the music to, quote, give Bob a good vibe. Oh. Uh, instead, halfway through the performance, Portnoy ripped off his shirt, ran next to Bob, and started dancing and contorting spastically with the two-word poem. That's the way that See, it's phrased here. there it is. Soy bomb written across his chest. When questioned by reporters, Portnoy explained the poem's meaning. Soy represents dense nutritional yes, life. Yes, <laughs> I, I must have read this at one point. Um, bomb is obviously an explosive, destructive force. So soy bomb is what I think art should be. Dense, transformational, explosive life. I love, uh, I love that, I guess. <laughs> do you? <laughs> you know, I kind of do. Like, it's uh, so harmless and um, kind of nice. Mm-hmm. There's nothing about that that's um, bad. It's fine. It's, very, it's um, fine, you know? It's it's a very kind of quaint uh, approach to things, I think. This guy thinking that running out onto the stage when Bob is performing on the Grammys with Soy Bomb written on his chest is going to be any sort of, like, you know, uh, um, you know kind of fuck you I to mean, the man. It's, it's hilarious because it it's such a huge opportunity. You know, like, every um, advertiser in the world would have would literally murder people to have such an opportunity if they knew that they could have gotten their man in there or like figured out some way to just have millions of eyes on Bob Dylan performing at the Grammys and have a word on you know like this viral moment um, yeah imagine and and of course it, it's only a poet and performance artists could use such a moment of like worth, you know, untold millions in advertising money and and pick the two words, maybe the the only two words that he could have picked that would be like as confusing to the general public as possible. And not even in a way that like people maybe talked about, like, what could it mean? Like, it's just um, it's. It's uh, I think it's kind of beautiful how completely uninterested in being um, in in being read like in any under logical way it is. Sure. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's something that would not happen anymore. I think no one would be uh, uh, really willing or able or interested in, you know, sort of doing something like this as silly as it is. Uh, I think everyone's much more, uh, certainly people who are, you know, kind of, um, interested in, in the, being a presence in the pop culture scene are, are interested in towing the line and following the rules. Uh, and so there's something, uh, admirable. It's about also it just as, wild that like, this is not even something that's against Bob. It's like, you rock, Bob. 
Yeah, it, yeah it really has no relation to Bob whatsoever. No, it, it, it's just a, a purely positive act. In, in If you're to take his interpretation of his own two-word poem seriously, there's literally like nothing but positive energy. It's just him, a guy who wanted to spread good vibes so bad that he came up with like this idea. I think it's kind of... Um, Kind of incredible. Uh, I wonder, is it possible? Is it possible that it could be sort of a false flag operation, and that it's it has it's, it smacks of the CIA? Maybe if I think about it that way, like they're trying to do one of their things that they do. Well, I thought it could be. You know, Bob Bob claims to have been ignorant of this whole thing and and is not interacting with him at all. Is it possible that Bob and his team actually did secretly arrange for this character to come and do his soy bomb gyrations and Bob kind of plead ignorance all along so that he could continue to sort of stand out from the crowd at such a square, staid you know, sort of uh, goings-on like the Grammys? It, it doesn't have um, dissimilarities, I, I should say. There are things about it that remind me of uh, a certain uh, Allen Ginsberg. Uh, mm. f- uh, remind me of Allen Ginsberg. <laughs> you know, the pro- there would be no soy bomb without Ginsberg. I'm pretty sure that's, <laughs> that's a, yeah that's dire- true. <laughs> direct line of influence from soy bomb. Well, a direct uh, line of influence Ginsburg. probably, but from like the beat poets to a guy who would be like interested in writing a two word poem. Apparently he was into comedy initially. He was he was described as the bad boy of New York comedy in the early nineties, according did, to his. Did Wikipedia they mean page. that he wasn't funny? Uh, possibly. <laughs> Someone else described him as the next Andy Kaufman. Wow. Um, uh, okay. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Not sure about that one. Maybe this is just uh, him not trying to be funny. He's just yeah. Hey, He's attempted the Mighty Mouse we're, thing. We're still talking about it, you know? We're still, <laughs> we never talked about it over, like, how many episodes of this. Um, Soy Bomb, you know? Yeah. Great song. Love Sick. Soy Bomb. All right. <laughs> well, we're going to get Love Sick in on the playlist somewhere. I don't know exactly where. Uh, one of your hosts had the song included on the playlist initially, and then the other host, who shall remain nameless, removed it because he decided that uh, it didn't belong for some reason. Well, but now I guess it's back. It's back. It's back because I we were the reason being, you know, like we were kind of like, well, we can't put all of Time Out of Mind on there, but it right. it gets in there because it has the soy bomb. It's got the um, Victoria's Secret uh, commercial. Commercial. Two- it's maybe like. Honestly, the single most important song Bob released in the nineties, maybe. Like if you just if you if if you ask someone to think of "Time Out of Mind," I guarantee you nine out of time, nine out of ten times at least, <laughs> the first thing that leaps to mind is just that opening, you know, kind of like heavy guitar riff from "Lovesick." You know what? Why don't we just open this playlist with "Lovesick"? E- executive decision. Perfect. I love it. Next, well, brings us to this one's kind of an oddball. Um, because it's not technically a 90s song, but it's performed what? in the 90s, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it is. I consider it a nice. Yeah, song, yeah. I the mean, song is "Dignity." Dignity. Um, which I I consider a ninety song because this is the first appearance of it on the MTV Unplugged special. Um, it was initially written for the Oh Mercy Sessions, uh, obviously. Uh, so technically, you know, late eighties kind of tune, but it didn't really see the light of day and become a you know known Bob song until at this point ninety five. So I you know based on that, I kind of consider it a uh, you know a ninety song. Yeah, and um, it's it's uh, you know one of these kind of left field picks that came out during the unplugged, which is a, a big moment, like to say the least. Uh, it's really the only official live album of the nineties, um, right. and so as far as Bob Dylan presenting himself to the public uh, as a working still living and breathing and thriving artist it's um not not for nothing that this was included on the the officially released record certainly yeah there's there's a reason that bob wanted to you know because as as we covered on the mtv episodes uh if we can remember back past all of the marvel cinematic universe discussion um the uh you know the 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 purpose or kind of what was going on with the MTV session was really a greatest hits kind of thing you know it was it was almost all original 60s 70s material um and the only things that he threw in at a left field were shooting star and i think it was shooting star it was just shooting star and dignity um uh, heretofore unrecorded so th- these were kind of the ones that Bob got to these were these were Bob's picks you know yeah. MTV was dictating the rest of it pretty much um, probably so yeah, or or you know, Bob was trying to please MTV with the rest of it. They certainly weren't psyched to have him play a song that n- had never been officially released up until that point. I would assume. Um, so uh, so yeah, so Bob clearly had you know kind of a soft spot in his heart for this one. And like we've talked about, it's sort of a weird song. Fits in there with some of the Oh Mercy stuff, political world, disease of conceit, where like you can kind of see what he's getting at here it's like a little goofy uh, but i think for the most part it comes off pretty well and it's it's like a fun kind of up tempo kind of bop along it's like a lighter yeah. kind of song um than uh, than it might initially appear to be or than than you might expect a song called dignity from bob to sound like you, you know what this, this one time. this one reminds me of something which is maybe a little bit like uh harebrained of me to say but i feel like this song somehow it reminds me of like you know those passages in Moby Dick where it will just kind of be like musing on like a concept for a while, right? It'll just be right. like not actually be a part of yeah, it's not yeah, it's not really like part of the plot, but it's just like hmm, dignity. What could it mean? And what is right. like like uh, stuff like that? I don't know. Just like it has a kind of Melville core <laughs> quality to it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he just, he uh, he started riffing on this concept and he, he got a whole five-something minute song out of it. So, you know, it's kind of fun. Yeah, Dignity, never been photographed. No, certainly not. Uh, Fat Dignity Man was the last to leave. <laughs> Fat Man looking at a blade of steel. <laughs> that's, that's cool. <laughs> and then, uh, like, Dumb Man looking at a blade of grass. I mean, he doesn't say dumb, but... Some. I like the line about uh, the Englishman or the uh, Englishman or Britishman. Uh, Britishman. British um, yeah, Britishman. The Britishman. Um, it, it must be English. Yeah. Englishman stranded in the Blackheart wind, combing his hair back. His future looks thin. That's a pretty good one. See, this is Bites what I'm saying. Bullet, like, and he looks within for dignity. Feels like Herman Melville uh, collabed with him on this one. 
Yeah, yeah. Each one of these verses is its own little, you know, short story. Uh, and some of them are fun, some of them are more serious. But, uh, you know, like I said, it, it's a pretty kind of light song at the end of the day. A light song about a serious concept. And I, you know, got to point out, like, dignity is something that is really at the central, uh, it's the central question kind of, of like, reassessing Bob Dylan's career. I think I know what you mean. I think Bob has always had a, an innate sense of dignity. He he himself has always been, yeah, but uh, others' conceptions of it have kind of wavered and gone up and down. That's what I mean. It's like he's always been dignified, even in uh, his darker moments. Uh, right. He carries this sense of dignity, which I think uh, you know forces the viewer and the listener to sort of contend with the whole concept. Of, of what it means to carry oneself with dignity, and of course now Absolutely. he's uh, he's come out the other side of all of his career troubles and um, ups and downs to basically be. He's got dignity for days. I I don't know someone more dignified. Next song is. <laughs> This was a weird. This was your doing. <laughs> I stand by it. I'm, I still love it. I'm, I'm, I, I was I was listening to it on the drive home today. I think it's great. It's so good. It's two by two. From, two by two from under the red sky. Which from under the has red sky. that really weird little intro guitar that sounds mm-hmm. like some like maybe like the desert level of like a Mario game. Right, yeah, it almost sounds like a sitar or something. I think that's the, I'm looking at the credits on the song, uh, on the liner notes. I think it's David Lindley on the Buzuki. Um, ah, B-O-U-Z-O-U-K-I. I'm, you know, I'm familiar Buzuki. with that because it's um, a traditional Greek instrument. Oh. I have this record called Buzuki Sounds. It's like what they would play in a taverna, you know. Wow. You're like uh, eating some calamari with olive oil and um mm. a little orange wine and some guys just like ripping on this greek string instrument just vibing on the bazooki besides him a real murder I, I kind of forgot about this until just now but a real murderer's row in terms of uh the talent on this song you've got bob on the guitar and vocals of course we've got the great david crosby great twitter follow what he's on, on here? the background vocals uh, you've got Randy Jackson of American Idol fame on the bass. No, and, yep. And then the ringer uh, with the on the beautiful piano solo in the middle of the track, the one and only Elton John. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I wasn't expecting Randy Jackson. Yep. Cool. It's a great song. Uh, it's about animals going into Noah's Ark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like it's the sequel. <laughs> To another song, kind of. Is it? Yeah, man gave names to all the animals. Sure, how, yes. How, how else would you uh, know what you're talking about? It, it sets right, yeah, it takes, up takes, this song. Takes place in the uh, the Genesis uh, extended cinematic universe. Uh, you know, man giving names to the animals, uh, the animals going on the ark. You know, it all it's all kind of happening in that same uh, same same dimension. That same. Uh, continuity, uh, like the like the Marvel universe. You're talking about the Bible, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the original uh, sigma- cinematic universe, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, it's a cool song. It's uh, you know, I, I I can't say anything bad about it. 
That's for sure. Yeah, it's 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 one of the you know uh, under the red sky. I think is really full of just kind of failed experiments uh, from uh, from Wiggle Wiggle to uh, Handy Dandy to TV Talking Song <laughs> to TVDB um, to BBB. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as we clarified, as as Evan uh, so brilliantly clarified for us on the Under the Red Sky uh, episode, this is, of course, a Lucky Wilbury solo album. Shout out for to uh, Lefty Wilbury, whose birthday it was yesterday. Yes. Uh, may he rest in peace. Um, it, it, but this is really kind of the one song on here, besides a couple of the other ones that, that will make appearances on this uh, on this playlist uh, at, uh, coming up. Uh, this is this is the one kind of fun oddball left field song that just like comes on and it's just like kind of fun and it and it vibes and it goes along and like I said, it's got a great series of players on on the uh, recording. Like it's it, it's it's it is as light as you're gonna get. Yeah. Uh, but it's nice to start a start a playlist off with a little light material. It's sort of a sort of an appetizer. Yeah. Uh, here and a moose bouche, perhaps, uh, for, for what is about to follow. The next song is one of the highlights from Good As I Been to You, mm-hmm. Blackjack Davy. Yes, it's a, a song that just uh has some classic old school tood, very dramatic song, yeah, cinematic, mm-hmm. very much so. It's really uh, it's grown on me. Yeah, me too. L- listening back, you know, kind of putting this playlist together and kind of running through things and, and uh, getting back into the acoustic cover records after kind of letting them sit for a little while, I, like I've, they've both really kind of uh, grown in my estimation. I'm, I'm fonder of them now than I had been. I think that they do what they do perfectly well. Like they right. don't, there's no room for them to fail really. But more than that, I would never really get sick of these because mm-hmm. if I ever am in the mood to listen to that, that they're very sturdy, you know, it's like right. fundamental type of record that I'm glad yeah. Dylan has in in his catalog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm glad that I that that all of these songs, like Bob, has kind of brought all of this material into his repertoire and like given his own kind of take. The same way that we're glad that he's brought all of the crooner material. Wow, I, um, we're gonna get into, into that in season four, aren't we? Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, I'm very excited. We're, we're gonna have to get some good guests lined up for those. Um, but um, you know, yeah, it, it just kind of fits in with everything else that he was doing, or it doesn't fit in with it necessarily. But it, it like kind of fills a missing hole, I think. Yeah. Um, that uh, that we maybe didn't even realize was there, but now that you know, once this material was recorded and put out, was really just kind of like, of course, this this belongs. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, a song like Blackjack Davy, I think is, is like very much the kind of track that, uh, you know, lays the foundations for something like Jack of Hearts or even up to like 10 Angel. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Kind of, 10 Angel know, is dramatic kind of, uh, story songs about, you know, wronged people and, you know, these, these, uh, romantic kind of trysts and murder and stuff. It's just like, it's kind of cool and moody and uh, it just, it makes a lot of sense. Before you um, had James Bond movies, you had stuff like Black Jack Davy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he was sort of, you know, men want to be him. Women want him. Women want to be with Blackjack David, yeah. Um, next song, uh, after you've 
spent time in the arms of Blackjack Davy is is under the red sky. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just press play Me on too. in the background. I, I'm really uh, liking. I fucking it. love the beginning of this song. That fucking organ. Well, the, do, the organ do, is do, is kind do, of the um do 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 do. We, as, as we've said before, it, it almost sounds like um, Queen Jane or something. Like mm-hmm. it has a little hint of that uh, classic Dylan, but in the service of something else, a song <laughs> of like sort of gr- grotesque fairy tale. And as we've said before, it, the the next song we talk about on a proper mainline album is not that different from Under the Red Sky. In some ways. Uh, the next song uh, from Love and Theft. Tweedly Dee and Tweedly Dumb. Yeah, How is, I see that. You get children being baked into a pie. You're not that mm-hmm. far off from Wonderland and um, dripping with garlic and olive oil on the brains <laughs> in the pot that beginning to boil. Yeah, I, I, could, uh, I could totally see that. Um. It's a great song. I love it. Uh, 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 again, another kind of interesting uh, collection of talent uh, on the recording. That's uh, that's Al Cooper on the organ. Uh, we've got Don Waz on the bass uh, and the great George Harrison um, on the slide guitar on this song. What, what more can, Just, can you want? You know, except, what more can you ask you for? You know what you could ask for? A little Randy Jackson. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good point. Uh, but you got, uh, you got Don Waz on there. Yeah. Um, Why pit two bad bitches against each other? Right, exactly. Um, anyways, I, it's a, again like a pretty light song, uh, even though the the material, the the lyrical matter, you know, young children being I, baked into yeah, a pie I is mean, not necessarily sure that's, light. That's not like really light if you really think about it. But but it's, but it's of, not it's meant like to a, think about. Like you're not supposed to. It's like it's a like story, it, like a, ch- a fairy story. Exactly. It sounds like a, it's like a Grimm's fairy tale. Yeah, to me. yeah. Like something exactly. that children would hear and like would understand is sort of macabre, but also like it's geared towards children in the first place. Yeah, it's, it's like a spooky Halloween. It's not like actually scary. Come on. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, <laughs> That's uh, my take. Is <laughs> I'm I'm not scared of this song. <laughs> I am. I don't find it scary. <laughs> Um, I really does not make me pee my pants. No, it actually, I can listen to it without getting afraid, and uh, I just want to really impress that upon the listeners. It does not <laughs> scare me. I don't need to listen to it with the lights on hundred uh, percent of the time and uh, holding my girlfriend's hand. Also, uh, the next song is. Um, Scary a song good. That will, That's what I was going to say. Scary good. And yes. also, this a song is, that will probably appear on the best of the 2000s playlist. Yeah, as I mean, well. 100% will. But it, yeah. I, uh, you know, maybe not everybody knows that this is not really from that famous decade. It, it had its origins a little earlier, so that's why it gets to be on the list. Exactly. Mississippi. Uh, we are talking, of course, Mississippi. Uh, specifically, the first track on the uh, bootleg series "A Telltale Signs," uh, that Mississippi kind of the quiet, vibey version. There's a, there's another outtake uh, version of Mississippi uh, on that record as well. That's like sort of a half measure. It's like it's it's closer to what you get on Love and Theft, uh, but not all the way there. Um, 
uh, that one's okay. Um, you know, it's still, I mean, Mississippi, the song is, is fantastic. Maybe one of the, the best songs that Bob has ever written. Yeah. I think we um, shouldn't even talk too much about it right now. Yeah. Just because, uh, but to keep things going. Right. Well, the interesting thing to think about here is, and something that we won't, you know, get to talk about on the, the next episode so much is that this song was originally written during the time out of mind sessions and Lanois uh, and Bob tracked it multiple mm. times and Bob, canned all of it because he didn't feel like the song came through. Hey, he was um, right uh, in the sense that while this version is great and it's, you know, so nice to hear it be uh, in this early stage, it's it's like so great when it's played the way it is. It had to have a gestation period to really reach its full potential, spread its wings yeah, exactly. Yeah, sometimes you know you gotta you gotta kind of like with series of dreams, for instance, Bob holding that back because he didn't feel like he nailed it. Unconscionable. With like, yeah. yeah, not not the best call, but it, you know, on on Mississippi, certainly that proved to be the right call. So sometimes you got to. Um, are you misting your face? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> this is rose water and glycerin. Nah, I bet I bet it smells great. Sometimes it's the uh, sometimes it's a great call, uh, and Mississippi is certainly the um, uh, the kind of uh, pristine example. Sometimes of, you got to stay in Mississippi one more day, one more day, yeah, and you're not staying a day too long in that case. No, 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 yeah. Uh, next track, we'll we'll save some more Mississippi discussion for uh, for Eleven uh, Theft um, coming soon. Uh, next song is another Telltale Signs uh, track, another outtake from the uh, Time Out of Mind sessions. This is a song that hasn't made another official appearance. So this is this is the version of it that we get. And that is Red River Shore. And it's a kind of curious that it doesn't appear or you know didn't make the cut because I think it would have suited Time Out of Mind perfectly well to have a song like this on there. Hmm. I mean, it's the type of song that doesn't really appear on that record. Right. Well, that's why I think that it isn't on there because this yeah. is definitely more in the vein of like a story song focused on a character, um, uh, more so than you know mm. that searing look at at himself that that most of what Time Out of Mind um, uh, ultimately ended up being consisting of. That syntax of that sentence was terrible. Um, but yeah, I think I think that that's why. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I the, would assume. I suppose the, the song didn't end up making it. The the um, feel of this song is a lot more languid and kind of right. like wistful. Um and it feels a little bit more down to earth mm-hmm. in a way. Um less uh poetically high flying than something like well, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but like it's less emotionally um charged in like the really intense way it's more kind of like a a quiet rumination well right. the other songs a lot of them are kind of you know in the thick of it so to speak yeah it's relatively light um you know it's not it's not it's not two by two light uh but it isn't as like you know just like black hole heavy as it's nice that it's kind of mel- melancholy or- it's like carmelita kind of Sure, sure. 
honestly, to me, it sounds like Eleven Theft song, um, mostly, um, and like it would fit in perfectly on that record, just like Mississippi fit in perfectly on that record. You know, you can almost see that he was already moving in that direction when he was putting Time Out of Mind together. But I think that Lanois' presence as this, you know, super heavy studio guy. Um, maybe dictated some of the material that ended up going on there and uh, the material that Bob wanted to hold back when Lanois was out of there and Bob had 100% complete creative control over what it ended up sounding like. I really like the production on this song, Red River Shore, totally. and I think it's actually Lanois at light. his most restrained. Yeah, it doesn't even sound like a Lanois song. No, almost. it feels like it's maybe missing like half dozen other little like subtle overdubs and backing tracks that, right, there are huge like reverb on Bob's vocals. It's um, it's got that really nice um accordion and mm-hmm, and Spanish mm-hmm. guitar sort of thing and some um, tambourine hits. It's very good. Um, yeah, it's it's a really nice kind of piece of music. And it's quite quite long. It's like ten minutes. Like right? No, nah, it's like seven or eight, something like that. No. It's no, oh, yeah, seven seven thirty three. Oh. But it feels long because it's a long lyric. Like it's it's uh, you know it's a. I mean, it's seven minutes. That's uh, not not short. Certainly not. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, Bob was writing long songs at this moment in time. Um, but it feels even longer than it might uh, initially seem because there's so much material to it, as opposed to, um, you know, some of the other um, you know, lovesick or something. Lovesick or oh. the next song. Or the next song, uh, the next song, which is seven minutes and forty two seconds. Yes, yeah. I mean I love uh, a long, a long number, and um, I think this might be my favorite song on Time Out of Mind. Yeah, it 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 is up there for me. Uh, this like when I'm when I'm sad, I think this is my favorite song on Time Out of Mind. When I'm happy, I've got another one. Um, but yeah, this one is really just kind of a gut punch. Uh, of course we're talking about standing in the doorway. Yeah. It's also beyond just the emotional, uh, quality of it. It's like one of those songs that is just so perfectly, uh, marriage of the production and the, the artist and, um, the, the music that like the second you hear it, you just, you know what it is. And it like, yeah. it just, it's so perfectly balanced in that way. Um, perfect song is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, as so many of the time out of mind songs are, um, you know, this kind of defines, uh, along with lovesick, um, where Bob is like, like pissed and sad. This is like, you know, melancholy, sad, uh, just kind of defines the mood of what's going on on this record. Um, it's just a, it like a extraordinarily long and personal kind of lyric, um, much more so than he had written, uh, for years at this point, maybe even ever. Um, like just literally the number of times he says I in this song is, has got to be up there. I'm uh, strumming on my gig guitar. Yeah. Um, Smoking a uh, cheap cigar. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Uh, what is there to say? Mm. But when you have that 
melancholy feeling, that that blue feeling to the maximum you put on standing in the doorway and uh, weep. Weep, yeah. weep your tears. And it, like, it really just, I, I know it, it, it's almost trite to say, but it, it can't be overstated how just spectacular some of these lines are. Like, uh, the last stands, I'll eat when I'm hungry, drink when I'm dry, live, live my, my life, life on, on the, the square. square. Even if the flesh falls off of my face, I know someone will be there to be. Uh, someone will be there to care. He's talking about us, um, uh, fans. Yes, yeah, <laughs> specifically the, the two of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There's like there's this element of you know the simplicity to the lyric on a song like this, and and the rest of uh, Time Out of Mind and many other places. There's an element of like the Nashville skyline simplicity to it that I I, I dig and love uh, so much. Uh, but the, but more than just kind of the the simple surface kind of love material that you get on that, like this is this is like a three dimensional, four dimensional, like lifelong kind of wizened simplicity yeah. that is is only you know can only be earned over the course yes. of decades. Um, it's a life and, song. Uh, it's a song. Yeah. for life. Yeah, it it really might be Bob at his like kind of most. Um, um, insightful or, or, um, um, uh, uh sightful or just sightful period. Sightful. Sure. He's got maybe up until something like uh rough and rowdy ways. Um, but you know, after, <laughs> after time out of mind, I think he moves kind of away from, from this stuff, uh, for a while. Um, so this is the one moment that you get a really kind of crystal clear insight or as crystal clear insight into what's going on in that brain, in that um, heart. In that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Not the brain, the heart, right there in the breast. Well, uh, uh, next song, "World Gone Wrong." This one from is the record "World Gone Wrong." It's it's uh, again maybe an album favorite, my favorite from that album. Probably. Great side one, track one, and uh, well, uh, it's just it it's got a similar feeling to me with uh, "Staying in the Doorway." It's like a song that it's very moving in its simple declaration of um the of pain. <laughs> <laughs> I really like I was thinking about this a little bit when I was listening earlier uh, just how I mean you you think about the song, right? Uh, um and it's it's tying like your own personal failings to the failings of, of the world uh of the world exactly Couldn't i be can't more. be good no more once like i did before i can't be good baby honey, honey because the, the world's gone wrong um and so you know when this song initially came out as think of how far back and yeah. different and less fucked that world was and then well, bob bringing this back about that in the either. 90s well, you know, I guess in, in some ways much less fucked. I think maybe the answer or the, the point that you're driving home or that you could drive home here is is a, a good point, which is that the world has always been going wrong and uh, it always feels kind of nice to just uh, say, like, come on, how am, I, how am I supposed to work under these conditions? Because it's yeah, always I, true. I, it's never easy. Yeah, I mean... I, I just I think it's interesting and it really speaks to the 
like the folk, like literally the folk music aspect of this, where like the the song is so simple and and straightforward, but it it means so much. It means something so different when Bob is playing this in 1993 than it would have meant initially being performed by yeah. whoever in Appalachia in 1860-something or whatever, you know? Yeah. the wor- Those worlds are so different, and yet there is still this this consistent, constant uh, quality of, you know, regardless of what world we're in, it's gone wrong, and then I can't be, I can't be good no more because of that. It's a funny song in a way, um, because it's so, it's like a feeling that is so common but i think so rarely gets given utterance yes to think of how much how much further it's gone wrong since every day we stray further from the world going (laughs) right um Uh. well next uh just to brighten things up we have uh (laughs) not dark yet Uh, when i i was sequencing this and just thinking like okay like we're gonna we're just gonna take like a real dive into the abyss at this point. Perfect. Um, I mean, perfect transition in my estimation into the song that, uh, I mean, I'm just really sounds like a happy guy, really I'm, like psyched. I'm listening uh, to it right now. And I, I just like, don't have any words because, um, <laughs> It's one of the, that, that's maybe all I need to say is just like when I put this on, it's my smile just kind of dissolves and I'm like in rapt attention to a song I've heard, you know, hundreds of times probably. Right. Yeah. I mean that, that, that kind of guitar, um, riff is so like, it's just so perfect. Like there's no way that you'll ever put this song on and hear that and not just feel like your insides just kind of corkscrew uh, based on that. It's just like a perfect kind of fusion between mood and sound and lyric and everything. Like, you know, it, 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 this is what you get uh, when you get an actual, you know, kind of like hotshot superstar producer who really knows what he's fucking doing and can can see the words on the page and hear the sound of the band in the studio and knows how to fuse those two things together. This is this is the best case scenario uh, of it. Um, you know, imagine under the red sky, Bob trying to fucking bring this to life with Slash and Randy. Well, Jackson. on on that record, he didn't have any lyrics. Like my sense of humanity has gone down the drain. Behind every beautiful thing, there's been some kind of pain. <laughs> this this is a yeah. song that not that many people can write uh, convincingly and pull off and execute right. convincingly. That's the thing about so much later, Dylan, and what we see in so much of the 90s is like basically stuff that we've grown to take for granted in terms of like songwriting quality because he does it so easily right or seemingly like is able to just do this again and again when you when you least expect it sometimes right but. yeah yeah i see what you mean and i like i know when we were talking to matt he mentioned not particularly being super fond of this song he felt like the metaphor was a little like obvious or something you know it's not dark yet but it's getting there which in a sense is true and and perhaps if it had been written by, you know, 
a lesser uh, a lesser individual with less you know kind of weight and heft behind it uh, you, uh, that that critique might hold. But I think even as simple and straightforward as as the lyric is uh, coming from someone like Bob, I think I think it showcases a great deal of. Um, you know, kind of, uh, it has some uh, pa- pathos or pathos, and yeah, yeah, exactly. He's yeah, you taking know. on, I think, Bob is is here, uh, and with like standing on the doorway, it seems like he's fully acknowledging that he is taking on the sorrow that we all feel, um, and giving it weight through his own uh, gravitas and his stature. Um, but he's kind of like trading in a very universal themes, I think pretty, very intentionally and with, yeah, very much. I think it fits right in with a lot of the other kind of universal, uh, songs that he had written in the past. Uh, I shall be released. Um, I threw it all away. Uh, yeah. you know, these, these very like clear and just like absolutely. I threw it all away and not dark yet. They're, they seem like so, uh, of a piece when you th- uh, come to think of it. Yeah. Like it's, it, 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 the, the imagery or the, the lines are like as, as crystal clear and straightforward as, as you can possibly imagine. But you know, there's so much, there's so much in such a few amount of, you know, saying so much with so little, um, I, it, it, it um, I don't know. It, it's something only he can do. Every nerve in my body is so vacant and numb. I don't even remember what it was. I came here to get away from. Get away from. Okay. Well, if we are figuratively, we're right at the edge of the precipice, ready to cast ourselves uh, into the roaring ocean and the rocks below. Um, Perhaps in the distance we hear a faint sound, and it's the ring-a-ding-ding of them bells. <laughs> ring-a-ding-ding them bells. That's pretty good. The, that's ring them bells. It's, uh, you know, that's a song from Oh Mercy, but here we, are, we put it on the playlist anyway uh, because it was played at the Supper Club. The Supper Club, yeah. This is the one official release from the Supper Club sets that has made it out. This also appears on Telltale Signs. And we're not going to take a chance to hype the Supper Club uh, for granted. Also because uh, the sort of unspoken thing with this whole list is, I mean, this whole playlist, is that the 90s is really like a huge, huge decade in terms of live performance for Dylan Right. And you can't really get a sense of that just by looking at officially released material. So right. this uh, is here along with a couple other moments uh, to represent that rich 90s Dylan uh, history. Very much so. Of live play. And, right. And we were kind of deliberately restraining ourselves to just material that's available streaming. If we were putting together a playlist that was any recording of any track, whether or not you could listen to it on Spotify or Apple Music, I, I think suffice it to say this would look very different um, and include a lot more live material uh, from many different contexts. But uh, yeah, when we can sneak that in there based Maybe on Maybe we'll, we'll do that at some other point. Yeah, I definitely do want to do something where we, you know, kind of 
I think it would be fun to grab, you know, definitive live versions of, I don't know, 15 or 20 of his greatest hits or something all throughout the years and put them all together so you can listen to, um, you know, uh, the alimony tour era shit um, for one song up against, um, you know, the never ending tour from 1993. And the uh, explosion of consciousness tour. And and the, the, um, I don't know what those other ones were called. He, the soup to nuts tour, yeah. um, the uh, the the getting uh, old and gray tour. Uh, folks, for for those of you who don't understand, just uh, uh, subscribe to the Patreon and listen to our latest episode, which is coincidentally about the Supper Club uh, set. Right, um, the Supper Club, which was basically part of the unofficial tour cycle for World Gone Wrong. Which is the next? Uh, 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 the next song is on that record as well. Um, do Do you like that transition I made? Yeah, I do like the transition. I, do, I just also wanted to note one last thing on Ring the Bells. Oh, this is not actually the best version of Ring the Bells from Supper Club. Uh, this is a this is certainly a good version, uh, but the version on the uh, bootleg compilation that we talked about on that episode far superior. Bob is much more into it. Um, so, uh, so seek that out, uh, and subscribe on the Patreon and you can, uh, hear the best version of Ring the Bells right, from right. the Immortal Supper Club. As we said, this, this version is on symbolically to represent yes. Bob Dylan playing live music. Uh, <laughs> next is Blood in My Eyes, which is sort of like the opposite of World Gone Wrong. It's, or maybe it's, it's before your world's gone wrong. It's, uh... When you got that that blood in your eyes, in a good way. I don't really know what... Do you get blood in your eyes often? Well, uh, I think that he's saying... Is he all like the bloodshot no, eyes? No, I think he's saying all the blood's going in my eyes because I love... Because hmm. I'm going... Wow. His third eye? No, no. It's, a, I, it's like his eyes are shooting out of his head like Tex Avery. Cartoon. Oh, okay. So it's like uh, it's like the wolf. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, kind of seeing Jessica Rabbit, and his tongue is yeah, unrolling. It's like all his, the blood uh, rushing to his eyes because they blowing out of his ears because they have and, to project uh, five feet out of his face to go. Oh, woo, God! Bonking his himself on the head with his with a hammer. Uh huh. This song <laughs> is about you know uh, being um, horny. Yeah. <laughs> in a very in a very kind of like wistful way in a cool way great song <laughs> yeah another uh, another world gone wrong cut um that was uh a, a, another great uh, version uh on the supper club uh once again um there is a good version on the supper club yeah yeah great version uh only those are the only performances of this song live that he's ever done actually uh, all the more reason right to listen to that supper club Give it a give it a spin, folks. Um, Next, we have uh, trying to get to heaven from mm. time out of mind. You, you tell mm. me, Ian. What do you like about this number? Everything. That piano at the beginning. Are you kidding me? Let me play that. Do 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 do. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's, unusual little vibe. It almost sounds like a Phil Spector song to me, um, uh, especially even with the, the drum beat and stuff. Yeah, it um, does have it's a... It's got kind of Be, boom, be My Baby boom, vibes. Boom. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
and it's got just this nice kind of like like slight bit of attitude to it. Um, I, it's I, 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 this is the, we we talked a little bit earlier about uh, my favorite, or I mentioned earlier my favorite time out of mind song when I'm sad, standing in the doorway. This is my favorite time out of mind song when I'm I, technically when I'm happy. I don't know how happy trying to get to heaven is, but it's it's not as miserable. It's on the mend. In, it's it's a song that feels a little bit like. Coming out of that depth of depression over right. a, a lost love and kind of uh, walking away in one piece. Exactly. Beginning to heal. But he's he's learned and he's seen some things. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, he, it, it's the sound of a man who has been through some trials and tribulations, but knows that he is... He's gonna he's gonna get through it, or he he has gotten through it already, uh, and you know it's it's gonna be all right, even if it's not gonna be exactly how he wanted it to be. Yeah, uh, he's trying to get to heaven before they close the door. Yeah, I mean, if you, it, if you get to heaven before they close the door, that's great. It's, it's just as long as you get there before they close the door, that's all that counts. You don't need to be the first one there. You just you can't be the last one there who gets shut up. You're trying. Right? I mean, trying to. You do You don't want to be left knocking on heaven's door. Right. You want to get there before they close it. You don't need to knock. You know, then that whole problem, the whole that whole song doesn't even need to exist anymore. The the whole image it epitomizes Dylan's uh, career in some way, as a cliche or trite as that might be. That he's he's continually trying to do, despite it. You know, the impending doom and gloom. He's he's putting one foot in front of the other, and he's still on this tour and he's still going to just do what he knows how to do. Mm. When you think that you've lost everything, you always find that you could lose a little more. I'm just going down that road, feeling bad, trying to get to heaven before they close the door. Yeah. Aren't we all? The next song is a one that I've really grown to just think is really fun. Yes. It's Absolutely. it's so funny the way that this those two records, um, but especially World Gone Wrong, to me, is kind of like the songs are so big in a way, um, despite having been executed, you know, with just acoustic guitar. Maybe it's because now having listened to Supper Club, like you can kind of hear how um, much there is to these songs. Mm-hmm. So now when I'm re-listening to like Jack O'Row, which is this song, I, I kind of see it in a different light. Totally. Yeah. The, I mean, the supper club version of Jack O'Row might be the best song on the entire set besides the supper club version of tight connection. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean that that version. You really kind of get the the sense of drama and energy. Same thing that you have on Blackjack Davy, actually. Um, with yeah, the drums they're not they're not the too similar. Yeah, very similar kind of songs. Um, uh, sort of swashbuckling um, story songs. Um, but yeah, I, I mean the, the the so if we were if we were picking a, an actual version of the song um, out of thin air, I think uh, we would probably both select the Supper Club version. Um, but even still, the the um, original recording, the 
world gone wrong version bob just on the guitar i think it's it's still you know it's still there uh, well that's what i was saying is like now i go back to that version right exactly listen to it and i'm like amped me too it's it's a great kind of galloping swashbuckling tale Right. I don't really remember what the plot is in a sailor and a girl or something, something but like that, yeah. it's a, it's a vibe, uh, vibe thing. Absolutely. And speaking of vibes, we're, we're back under the red sky folks. And boy, um, born in time is like probably my favorite song on under the red sky. Yeah. I think it's between this and, and the title track for me. This is certainly the one that has the most interesting shit going on in it. Yeah, I mean, it's also the only one with a Clapton cover of it. Um, is there a Clapton cover of this? <laughs> there is. It's oh, very, boy. it's it's kind of, it shows how good the song is that um, I, I've i listened to the Clapton version by choice just because I like this song so much. Ugh. Never listen to Clapton by choice? Not a Clapton guy here, like uh, not a Claphead, but... Um, Clap man, <laughs> a clapper, a clapper. Uh, there you go. That's not me, really. But like, I mean, I I don't. I'm ambivalent on the subject, but uh, I'm not ambivalent on Born in Time, which is. I guess we'll just use the version from uh, Under the Red Sky. But there is that version from Telltale Signs. Right. Yeah, the Telltale Signs version is there's a couple, yeah, there's a couple right? versions on Telltale Signs and I wanted to use one of them, but I was trying to be as technically precise about this whole thing as possible. Those were Oh Mercy outtakes from 89. Uh, that's right. So So technically the 90s, doesn't sneak in there. So we get the 90 version. And that's fine because the 90s version I I've come to the point, I don't know about you, Ian, where I'm like a little bit charmed by its somewhat um lackluster vocal delivery or like, it's not lackluster it's more just the, a little bit like maybe they could have done it one more time i don't it's, know yeah it's just kind of weird yeah maybe the register wasn't like totally right or something but it, i i've i don't care i forgive it yeah uh once again we've got uh, as was kind of the uh, the the mood of the day uh, when this record was being recorded. We've got another kind of uh, just insanely weird collection of players on this one. We got Randy Jackson back on the bass. Yes, that's uh, why I like Croz. it. We got the Cross on background vocals again. We got Bruce Hornsby on the piano on this one. Wow. Yeah. Um. So you know, it really is just kind of a fun. Like this record is fun just because you've got so many different, like, just absolute, like, stone cold, stone cold killers, like, popping up in the background on all these just shitty songs. Um, it's what which, keeps it afloat. Yeah, yeah. There's something you know. Um, it, it's almost you know, like uh, like Caribbean Sunset or something is a John Cale record. Yeah, uh, is not is not a is not a all time John Cale record, but there's something you know kind of fun and interesting just in this like kind of like failed experiment of his. Same thing with Under the Red Sky. It's certainly not one of Bob's strongest uh, strongest efforts, but there is still something compelling about it. Um, you know the real um, the real John Cale comparison actually would probably be uh, Walking on Locusts from 1996. Which Boy, features that's even beyond uh, 
a record online. nobody listens to, but it it, it has uh, David Byrne at least on one song, and and there's like another song on it that you can kind of hear him doing kind of David Byrne like mm. like late period Byrne five. Oh, yeah. Mo Tucker's on this record too. It looks like no. Wait, oh, n- not on not on <laughs> under the red sky. Not on red sky. No, no, no. Okay. On, on, yeah, on yeah, walking on locusts. Oh, yeah, right. I know this record. I know this cover. He's got the weird haircut and stuff. Yeah, it's the haircut I just told my barber to do to me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, for talking about like little discussed '90s output albums featuring some kind of like cool ba- uh, features. That's that's the John Cale analog. But back to Born in Time, I just think this is like a really beautiful song. Yeah. Beautiful song and a really, you know, kind of beautiful one one of the few songs on the record that actually has an interesting kind of compelling lyric to it, which uh, I think as we've covered in the past, he's owed in large part to the fact that it was really an Oh Mercy song that didn't end up coming out on that record. Um, and was just kind of a, a holdover. Um, but some really beautiful, you know, kind of language uh, that was atypical of Bob at this moment in time. In the lonely night and the blinking stardust of a pale blue light, you're coming through I, to me in black and white yeah, and I we think were of made you of dreams. black and white. I love that. You're blowing down the shaky street. You're hearing my heartbeat and the record-breaking heat when we were born in time. Born in time is such a, like, interest. Like, I don't... It seems it's, so simple, but I don't really know what that means. It's a phrase, yeah. It's yeah. a... It's like a soy bomb type phrase. <laughs> also, a, a phrase that I don't really fully understand uh, is in the next song, Cold Iron's Bound. I assume it has something to do with g- going to be on a chain gang, like I'm about, I'm going to go to jail. I think I, 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 I've come to believe that Cold Iron's Bound means you're just kind of locked up, um, you, know, in, with, uh, you know, with the manacles. Um, you, you got are, manacles of some kind involved here. Yeah, you're you're 20 miles out of town in cold irons bound. You're you're bound in the cold irons 20 miles out of town. My, manacles are in some ways the opposite of monocles. Sorry, I just started uh, playing it again in the background. Love that drum. Love that yeah, drum. Yeah, th- this is a good inclusion, I think, on our list because... It sort of is a type of song that we haven't really gotten uh, on our list yet, which is, uh, I mean, there's not that many of these, I guess, overall, but there's, you know, like Dirt Road Blues also. that This more like uh, sassy, uh, tough guy, 90s Bob. Yeah, it's just badass. Yeah. It kicks ass. It kicks ass, and um, that's a good good enough reason to include it listen to the song it 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 kicks ass yeah yeah (laughs) some some of them are it's it's as easy as that and and it's a direction that it goes much further on i think on love and theft yeah Um, and on like uh things have changed later on after that yeah things have changed absolutely high water for charlie Patton. um 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 even Tweedledee and Tweedledum almost mm-hmm. uh, has, has got a, a bit of this kind of attitude and like edge to it. Um, so it's almost confusing that this song appears on Time Out of Mind the way that it does, but I'm glad that it does. Um, and and songs like Unbelievable for, <laughs> and, and uh, 
Wiggle, wiggle. No, those are those are not. Those are decidedly not time out of mind. I guess songs. unbelievable is like the closest he gets on, on under the red, red sky. sky. Anyway, <laughs> it, it's Cold Iron Spoon. It's a cool song. You love it. It it rocks. What do we have next? Um, we're coming coming in close here to the end. I think the final we we if this were a record we'd be flipping the uh, second LP to the D side. We're on to the 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 fourth of four sides. Uh, you're gonna quit me. Another good as I've been to you number. It's the good as I've been to you number is how you might remember it. You're gonna quit me, baby. Good as I've been to you. Yep. Lord, Lord. Lord. Good as I've been to good as good as I've been to you. Good as I've been to you. I say good as good as I've been, been to you. Good as I good as I've been to you. It sounds like a De Niro thing. Yeah, um, you're gonna quit me. <laughs> good as I've been to you. Good as I, good as I been to you. Good good as I've been to you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> You're gonna quit me. Good as I've been to you. Um, good as I've been to you. You're gonna quit me. I said, good as I've been to you. You're gonna quit me. Now the next song is <laughs> "Make You Feel My Love." <laughs> yeah, this is the end of the uh, time out of mind material, uh, and one that I initially did not have on here, but I think I, I almost did put it on. Um, but I was trying to keep it to a, a you know, a, a relative minimum of, of time out of mind stuff, but it really does belong on here. Um, you can't, we can't front like that and not yeah. include make you feel my love a song, which just bursts out of the gate. Like, hello, I'm a song you've always known. I'm a song your mother and father know now. I'm a song that your sister knows. I'm a song that your teacher the bus driver, everybody just knows this song. Right. Because I'm a classic song. Yeah, it really does kind of have the the feeling of a song that has existed for years and years. Uh, you know, it, it, it was written before Bob wrote it almost. Um, and it just took him to actually give it manifest form in our reality. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a perfect kind of love song uh, but but a, a love song with kind of a sense of weight and heft uh, as all of the time out of mind material all the best time out of mind material at least um uh had and has gone on to be a very you know a big and rich song in terms of covers and stuff uh in the future obviously i think most folks would probably be think this is an adele song at yeah. this point um and uh, or a Billy Joel song for or that a Billy matter. Joel song, yeah, which uh, we we might be covering at some point soon for in celebration of Bob's 80th birthday. Yes, we we may or may not be doing a roundup of a certain number of Bob Dylan <laughs> covers. Yeah, I bet you can never guess how many covers will be included on that discussion. Well, you might not guess because it seems crazy that's such a large number. But you would be wrong. Make you feel my lo- like it really is kind of a miracle song. Like it feel it's does not. It's like we were just talking recently about uh, how Forever Young feels like a song that like has just always kind of been there. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, it's it's totally it, in. It's that like same Forever kind Young. Of- it's just like damn. Like I guess like. You could think about Bob Dylan. You could be one of those people who, like, you really only are in in for like the 
high flying surrealist poetry, which of course is incredible. If the early 60s, I mean the sixties stuff, but like, if you care about music at all, you got to hand it to him that like he, he also has a few of these songs to his name that are just like, certainly not that, but they're, they're just immortal numbers. So, yeah, uh, just something as simple as uh, I'd go hungry, I'd go black and blue, I'd go crawling down the avenue. There's nothing that I wouldn't do to make you feel my love. You know that that, that it doesn't take uh, you know generational talent to come up with that necessarily, but uh, the, the fact remains that this generational talent did come up with that, and the way he delivers it, and this really kind of like like ethereal, almost like holy sound that yeah. that he's got going on the song. Like Lanois, to his credit, really just kind of highlights. It's almost like when he returns, like the last song on Slow Train, mm-hmm. it's just the piano and Bob's voice, a very nice, simple delivery, uh, very spare and sparse. Gosh, it's, it's can you imagine if, suited. if this was the closer to Time Out of Mind? Yeah, I mean, it almost is the closer to Time Out of Mind, um, in a sense. Um, Boy. Yeah. It's the thematic closer. Just like Froggy the, the thematic closer to <laughs> Good As I've Been to You, uh, Froggy Went a Courtin. This song is just so cute. I love this song. This song's about being a little... We're going back to Bob Dylan being two <laughs> inches tall and standing under a mushroom for shelter. Because yeah, this was actually... <laughs> this Bob, Bob became familiar with this song because it was kind of about his experiences being small yeah. and, you know, kind of going around with the frogs and, and the, the mouses and, and the, the rats and, and having a little picnic with them in celebration of uh, the wedding of the yeah. frog and the mouse. This is uh, when Bob was on sabbatical um, with Frog and Toad mm. and um, at the Pikmin conference with, uh, <laughs> with all, uh, Professor Dr. Olimar and um, some of the other esteemed guests like uh, Thumbelina and um, <laughs> the, uh, the people from the Tinkerbell and all those people from uh, Fantastic Voyage who were shrunk <laughs> down inside to be the size of a little tiny um uh, and all of the what 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 are the people uh that that tie down gulliver in um the the um the the what are they called the that's, that's what i'm asking you it's, it's um lilliputians the lilliputians from Lil- that's Lilliput. right this is the the it's instead of like um of like davos you know, in in Sweden or whatever, there's yeah, where all the perverts there, gather. There's a this conference for small people gather for tiny, tiny for t- little guys. <laughs> and little, um, the size of your pinky. Yeah, Bob Dylan actually heard this while he was um, uh, huddled up inside of a a, a thimble um, with a, <laughs> a, a few little little ants and bugs who had like a little jug band playing this, <laughs> and he said, "That's really good." <laughs> The how, next, many times, uh, <laughs> how many times did it take you to to uh realize the end of the song that the cat a cat comes along and just eats all these animals until i didn't know that until you just said that that's okay, yeah. horrible I'm, I'm glad because it took me several times uh but it's great after after the wedding feast is held between miss mousy and froggy uh, a cat just comes along and literally eats everything circle of life <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, it's sad but it's sad but true 
It's how it goes. It, it do be like that. Speaking of which, Hard Times is mm. the, the, the next song, we, and mm. the second to last song here. And this is sort of about that experience. No? Yeah. yeah. Inspired by um, uh, Uncle Rat and uh, Miss Mousy being eaten by a cat. Why did you want to include this song in? I think uh-huh. this is really the lodestar of the entire uh, uh, project uh, of this record and the and the following record, um, World Gone Wrong. Which, and when we initially talked about the two of them, I felt like World Gone Wrong was a tighter record, um, you know, more thematically cohesive, a little darker. Uh, but looking back on it, I think I actually, and and this was something else we talked about with Matt. So uh, uh, Matt, Matt Farley, for, yes, the great Matt Farley, um, of course. Of uh, of apparently TikTok fame uh, uh, as the singer of the poop and pee songs for everyone's oh, names, just fame period. But yeah, the, he sings those poop and pee songs. <laughs> uh, something that that uh, Matt mentioned was liking uh, "Good as I've Been to You" more um, than "World Gone Wrong," and and that kind of struck me as odd initially. But I I'm kind of coming around to that point of mm. view at this point. Because uh, just on a song by song basis, I think uh, songs uh, like this are are just, you know, they are, they are stronger to me. Uh, Hard Times is really just kind of a perfect kind of like simple, um, reserved kind of tune that feels like eternal um, and, and has, a, has a, a sense of spiritualism to it without being a religious song has a sense of uh, wisdom to it without and, and beauty without being like a showy piece of poetry necessarily. Mm. It's just, um, you know, I, th- I think it suits Bob very well. Um, and, uh, you know, who, you know, who he is and who he was at this moment in time. Uh, and there's just something really kind of like, I don't know. Uh, I just like to listen to it. Hard times come again. No more. I I love to hear a nice, uh, just a nice kind of song telling me hard times come again. No more. Everything's going to be okay. You know, uh, the world gone wrong, but, uh, uh, for just for today, for the time being hard times, hard times come again. No more. This is maybe the, uh, you know, the McCartney fan and me coming out a little bit, uh, the cloying sentimentalist, but, um, it, you know, when it when it when it strikes the mood, when when it's the time is right, it it gets to me, and this one definitely does. Very well said. I think that the song works in the context of um, some of those those darker songs because it it still acknowledges difficulty within it. The song is about right. hard times being no more, but it's a Perhaps from the po- from the perspective of somebody who's still experiencing the hard times, it's sort of a hoping for a brighter day. Yes, the song also, of course, uh, as we as we covered in the initial episode, written by uh, Stephen Foster, uh, author of "Oh Susanna," a song which may have some different lyrics than you remember. Uh, yes. And I will leave it at that. Uh, go, <laughs> go take a look at the YouTube results on that if uh, that piques your curiosity. Uh, let's bring it home. Um, track 20, well, I guess this will be 21, uh, since we're going to add Lovesick at the beginning of this. Uh, and this was this was a late edition by you, Evan. Uh, so tell yes. me, why, why uh, does this playlist end with the MTV Unplugged version of Desolation Row? 
Well, we were talking about how MTV Unplugged is kind of the uh, quintessential, really is the essential Bob Dylan live album release of uh, the 1990s in terms mm-hmm. of uh, officially released material. And if we want to talk about where Dylan is in the 1990s as an artist, having gone through all the stormy seas of the seventies and eighties. Um, this is just, I think like exhibit a of like, he's, he's landed where he like always should and could be like mm. in the, in the 1990s, he's totally able to just like bring this song to life I mean, I'm just listening to it again now and, and like, I'm entranced. He's like so um, in tune with the song, with the lyrics, with the imagery. I love the the band's uh, approach to it here. Yeah. And, and Dylan really goes really far, like with the singing. It, it has a great arc, like a great pace. Um, and it goes really to some high heights. It's just, it's just great. Like I, I couldn't ask for anything more from Dylan performing one of his classic songs in the 1990s. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you're right. This one was not something that, that leapt to mind initially when I was putting the, uh, my initial draft of all this together. Um, I guess unfairly, maybe I, I had kind of discounted all of the MTV unplugged material um, besides dignity, which was an original song or, you know, technically sort of original song at that time. None of the other stuff really kind of stuck with me uh, for whatever reason as uh, something that was interesting, certainly compared to the supper club performances, mm-hmm. um, which occurred just before this and were, you know, in the same kind of vein. Um, anyways, it, uh, I, I do think that yeah, this version of Desolation Row is really kind of interesting. It's kind of underplayed uh, a little bit, uh, but it, it like you know, it still like kind of gets into it as it goes along and sort of builds on itself uh, over time. And yeah, the band sounds great. Um, some nice chiming kind of acoustic guitars uh, going all throughout. It's an interesting, um, yeah. It's just interesting to hear this kind of song in 1995, I guess, like compared against, uh, compared to everything else that's appearing on this playlist, uh, all this other material, two by two, by two cold irons bound, um, uh, uh, blood in my eyes and this old, this old chestnut, you know, the one, one little reminder of, uh, of where we, where we were at the beginning of all this, uh, you know, uh, why, why we fell in love with him in the, in the very first place. Uh, it's still just as good as it ever was. In certain ways, it's better than it ever was because as good, as classic, as uh, essential as the the versions from the 60s and all throughout various points have been, this is where you really start to see the best of what Dylan can still do with it Um, and what he, I think, honed and figured out how to really do in the nineties was to like um, hold these songs. Like he's totally like connected with like every nerve ending of, of, of the song and of the Mm -hmm. composition and 
is able to like, I don't know. It's a pretty straight version of it relative yeah, totally. to like some, some of the, maybe that's one thing I really like about it is that it's, it's not like he's, it's kind of novel, honestly, now to hear later period Dylan doing an older song and one as classic as Desolation Row. Without fucking Without with like really, yeah, there's like a certain amount of like restraint that I, mm-hmm. I actually think is kind of um, really flattering and uh, really suits everything about this performance. Yeah. And it's so dissimilar also from the other material, like all the other material on this playlist, uh, whether it's, you know, the blue, the Delta blues or, uh, Scotch Irish folk songs from the covers records or the, uh, you know, just like black hole gravity of time out of mind or the, you know, just like dog shit, throw weird things at the wall and see what turns out of under the red sky. Um, you know, the, the, original you know the 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 bob dylan classics uh that that classic bob dylan sound bds uh just almost sounds like a different artist at this point um when we're just restricting our focus to the 90s material and yet here it is being performed by this same guy makes just as much sense as ever and sounds just as good as it ever did yeah not to put too fine a point on it but uh i think we did a good job with uh this playlist uh, <laughs> and I think that Bob Dylan did a good job with this music. <laughs> I think we did just as good a job as Bob did with this nineties material. Gosh, I mean, this version is just great. Like once, once he really gets into it, there's nothing like that. That's is all it I'll as say. good as the MCR version? They're different. <laughs> <laughs> do we want to do the three star ret- oh, retrospective of the albums of the nineteen nineties? Yeah. You mean if we have any changes about if what we, we just to just to review and make adjustments sure, as necessary? Sure. Um, That'll be a quick one. I've yeah. got them pulled up already. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, we've got our, uh, we've got Under the Red Sky, initially 1990, uh, was given a one-star record, uh, rating by both of us as a Bob Dylan album, but was given three stars as a Lucky Wilbury album. I'm going to stand by those ratings. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, uh, Good As I've Been to You, 1992. Uh, so interestingly, Evan, you misremembered. You did not give oh, I gave it a three stars. Oh, I gave it a two and then you a gave three. gave it a two. Uh, and I gave it a one. Uh, I'm definitely going to crank this up to a two for me. I don't well, think I can go all the way to a three, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm absolutely going to bring that one up to a two for Good As I've Been to You. I guess now I have to just put my money where my mouth is, but. Yeah, I you were talking a big game about giving it a three. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I. Um, want to like have to go back and like officially change it. Just know it's like, it's, it's good. Yeah. It's good. Good album. It's a three. I'll say it's a three, you know, it's a three. I just don't know if I'm going to like, like make a amendment post just because of that. Well, we can, we can work that in somewhere. I can take care of it. All right. World Gone Wrong, three stars for you, two stars for me. I'm going to stick with the two on World Gone Wrong. Like I All said, right. I, I'm a little more fond about, uh, 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 a little more fond of World Gone, excuse me, uh, good as I've been to you than I am of uh, World Gone Wrong at this particular moment in time. Okay. 
You're sticking with the three. I don't see any reason why it, it shouldn't have that. I mean, in terms of the cover and, and the photo shoot from this album, that, that definitely was one of the strongest points. So I, I, uh, I can't sure. blame yeah. you for that. It has, it, it's good. <laughs> uh, unplugged, one star from both of us. Wow, that's wrong for me. I have to give Unplugged a solid two. That's, in retrospect, I was wrong. Hmm. I'm going to... We gave it a one as a protest vote, if you recall, because we didn't like the way that the record was handled. That's right, because they cut out other tracks that he actually performed during the set but didn't include on the record. Right. All right, you know what? But, I see that. But, you know, I gave a... Now that we've like talked more about Shooting Star and Dignity like the and, and the, the Great Desolation Row here... I feel like two is, you know, that's that's fair. Like two, I'm not going to be a little curmudgeon. Sure, two is fine. Two is fine by me. I, oh. I can I can throw it at two as well. Yeah. So maybe in future editions of Jokerman textbooks, we'll like sort of amend these. Right. Yeah. Exactly. In the in the the updated release for 2022. Uh, and then time out of mind, uh, unanimous three stars from Union yeah. Rado. I don't think there's any questions about that. Unless you're trying to be contrarian, no, like no, on the tracks, no, no, no. All right, all right. We, we had stars. a fan, uh, a listener, say, "Bring back the two out of three. Bring back the two the star track. rating on blood on the tracks." Absolute madman. Uh, uh, and that uh, that does it for the '90s material. Pretty light, light output uh, from Bob in terms of uh, original recordings. Like Evan said, uh, much more sort of. Focused on the on the live performances uh, as opposed to uh, original, um, you know, recordings and, and packaged records that he was putting out. So that's that's what we got for the 1990s decade uh, and the best of the 90s playlist here on uh, on Jokerman podcast. Yeah. So now go and listen to that playlist that we just talked all about and. Uh I don't know. Yeah, stick with us. We're moving into uh, moving into season four here very shortly, with uh, with a great great album that I'm very excited to talk about with uh, a cool guest. Uh, hopefully, assuming that's all lined up correctly. Yeah, uh, Love and Theft coming up uh, very shortly. Uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, the 21st Century Bob is a whole whole new animal, whole new beast, whole new man. Can't wait to get there. Wow, listen to that C. Listen to that bright Damn. and beautiful signature Bob Piercing Dylan series harmonica. Wow. Jokerman. In the lonely night, in the blinking stardust, have a pale blue light. You come and do to me in black and white. When you made a dream, you're blowing down the shaky street. You're here. 
cost me twice You hung the flame You paid the price Obey That fire Is still smoking You were snow You were rain You were stride You were plain Obey To a worm Have not been spoken Ah, Weather.